0: Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Loaded Sport Podcast Well, today we're going to be reviewing the weekend's action of sport and there's plenty to be going out. We've got UFC 281 and a new middleweight champion of the world was crowned this past weekend. We've also got the Brazilian Grand Prix, the penultimate race of the 2022 Formula 1 season and the chaos that is ensuing within Red Bull at the moment. Week 10 of the NFL is being reviewed and we've got the final game of the Premier League season before the World Cup gets underway this weekend. Joining me to to go through all of the action is Dawson and Kemp. Good afternoon, lads.
1: Man with the mic, how are we? Very good, thank you. Yourself? Marvelous, Dawson.
2: Yeah, I'm all right, mate. You don't sound 100%, mate. i you feeling you're, you're all right, a bit bungled. A little,
1: little bit under the weather. It was a it was a a busy busy weekend. Um, these these ve- New York and Vegas cards for the UFC usually do take it out of me. It's going to take me a few days to get back to 100%, but I am talking on Loaded Sports with Adam Marsden and Ben Dawson, so I'm on top of the world.
2: Happy days. How are you doing, Adam? Are you all right? How was your weekend?
0: It was very good, thank you. Very action-packed towards the uh, end of it. On the Saturday, I played a charity football game, managed 90 minutes and got man of the match, so I'll take that. And on uh, Sunday, it all finished with, uh, well, I say Sunday, Monday morning, waking up to find out the news and I think it's where we've got to start really with the final game of the Premier League season out of the way with Manchester United and the situation the saga that's going on with Cristiano Ronaldo skin I'm going to come to you first on this because I remember last week we spoke about Ronaldo and the situation surrounding him you were very much alongside him supporting him do you feel that now this lack of professionalism that may have been shown from him has changed your mind at all
2: how can it not it's um, I think the main thing that's bothered me. The content isn't great, of course, but one of the things that I mentioned to you lads in the group chat and to a couple of other people as well is that the absolute shitbag timing of it, you know, we've, we've spoke quite a lot this season about how he'd said eventually he'll tell his side of the story and all that kind of stuff and and that kind of went cro- quiet. That was within the first month of the season, if I remember rightly. It can't be a coincidence that he's waited until the final weekend of the Premier League season has, has fin- finished before they break up for a month for the World Cup and he's decided to drop it I mean tell me if I'm wrong lads but surely that's that's a tactical move and that's been done on purpose
1: I'm not going to tell you you're wrong um, you know I think I said last week uh, I, I, I thought that he, he spat his dummy out toys out the pram whatever saying you want to use and it's just yeah it's gone overdrive um, get him gone he might be Cristiano Ronaldo he might have at one point in time been the best footballer in the world I don't mean anything now. You know, what have you done for me lately? Um, lately for Manchester United, he's done very little um, and he's expected a lot. And and how can you how can you have that, especially if you're Eric Ten Hag and you want him to put your stamp on the club? So, again, I, I made my feelings clear um, on one of the previous podcasts. I, I, I'm not going back on that and actually doubling down on that now. Adam, I don't know what your thoughts were on it.
0: I thought that um, Ten Hag was well within his rights to, to drop Ronaldo. I think he didn't suit the style of football. With all due respect to him, and he is one of the greatest to ever ever play football. There's no doubt about that. But to, to go into Manchester United and play that style of football... The constant high press, I just don't think it suits Ronaldo at this point of his career. So I think that the best thing for him to do is move on to a new club. Has it been approached correctly by him and, to an extent, Ten Hag? I think they both could have handled it better. I think what Ronaldo's just done uh, Monday morning is just another... Like, the icing on top of the cake, isn't it? He's on his way out. In January, you can almost confirm that he will not be playing or even... In December, when the World Cup finishes, you'll not be playing another game for Manchester United. I think, like Skin says, it's not the greatest of times heading into the World Cup because now Ten Hag's got an entire month to sit and consider what his next step is in the preparation of preparing Manchester United. This side is is in a rebuild. They're in. They're, they're trying to re-identify themselves since uh, since Ferguson retired so many years ago that they're finally getting to that point that they could maybe start challenging for top four and start to build further on. That now they've got one of the players that is such an iconic character within that side and in the history of the club, that now he's starting to try and create that turmoil to to try and upset the rhythm again for Manchester United when they're so close to getting back to, I wouldn't say the old Manchester United because they're still some way off that, but the Manchester United that could maybe compete on a more regular basis for top four and and try and push things on, they're still somewhat behind sides like Newcastle and Tottenham at the moment and, and this situation that Ronaldo's creating... I think he's only going to make things worse. They're going to go into this break now with the World Cup. The players are going to focus on what's going on there. Then they're all going to come back to an absolute shit show that's going on at Old Trafford.
1: For me, and I don't know if you'll agree, um, I, I listened to to Graham Sooness talking about this, you know, defending Ronaldo and saying, you know, we've got to treat him as one of the best players and you've got to respect him. I, I couldn't honestly disagree more. You, you know, the amount of times that Alex Ferguson said the name on the back of the shirt is never bigger than the name on the front of it you saw it with David Beckham you saw it with Cantona you saw it so many times and that number seven shit doesn't help I don't think with that but you saw it so many times with with these players and you're seeing it again with Cristiano Ronaldo now and Cristiano Ronaldo for me has thought okay you know are they going to win with me or they don't win at all in his opinion in his opinion, if they're not winning and 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 progressing and and winning things with Cristiano Ronaldo, and Cristiano Ronaldo is not the main man and everybody's bowing down to him, you know, and, and licking his ass like Oli did, he's not interested. And for me, the biggest thing, and I don't know if you'll agree with this, Dawson, and, and I suppose there's no way really we'll ever find out, but the biggest thing for me is what went off on those conversations at the start of the season because Cristiano Ronaldo wanted to leave. He was gone. He was out the door. But then they got Ten Hag and Ferguson and Richard Arnold, and they all had that, you know, crisis talks. And he managed to stay. I don't. What do you think went off in those in the, in those conversations, Dawson? For things to go this badly, what three months later?
2: Who knows, mate? I mean, let's face it. Him coming back to United didn't exactly start on the best of terms, did it? Because if if we go back to that moment where he did resign, was it only be, to stop him signing for City, which was heavily rumoured in a few days? between, well, the few days before, sorry, in coming back to United. So is that the best terms to, to join a club, purely to stop them going to somebody else? Probably not, but given their history, it, you know there'd be worse players to join worse teams in that kind of situation. What happened in those talks? Who knows? Is it a, we need the experience in the squad? You know, stay with us for, for Eric's first season. We'll sell you in January, depending on how it's going. Like you said, Kemp, like we're never going to know what kind of conversations we have had there. But the biggest question now is what happens next. We've got the World Cup, the comeback from that a couple of weeks later. January transfer window is open. So, do they release him? Do they agree a deal with the club to get him just off the books, what it may be? But how do you come back from quotes such as this is aimed at the club hierarchy, so including Ten Hag, but also, well, who knows? Is it yeah? Is it your executives? Is it people on the board? We don't know. But not only the coach trying to force him out, but another two or three guys around the club. Didn't he
1: want to leave? Didn't he want to leave? He did, yeah. So how can someone be forcing him out when he wanted to leave? He's a fucking idiot.
2: Yeah. Well, so yeah, that's, that's one of the quotes. Not only the coach trying to force him out, but another two or three guys around the club. I felt betrayed. Yes, I felt betrayed. And I felt like some people don't want me here, not only this year, but last year too. Um, and then in a direct quote towards Eric Ten Hag in terms of him having no respect for him, the quote was, I don't have respect for him because he doesn't show respect for me. If you don't have respect for me, I'm never going to have respect for you. So again, we can only see what we see in the media during games, that kind of stuff. There was a big thing about Ronaldo not being brought on when United were heavily behind in the game a few weeks ago. I can't remember who it was against, so I apologise. But, you know, Eric Ten Hag came out after the game and said I didn't put Ronaldo on out we're of respect. We were against yeah,
1: City, weren't
2: yeah, we? Yeah, I did think, yeah, part of me thought of City, but I wasn't. I didn't want to say when I was, wasn't 100% sure, but he got questioned after the game as to why I didn't bring Ronaldo on and he said that he didn't want to disrespect him by bringing him on. So Ten Hag is trying to sort of appear in the press like he's got a lot of respect for Ronaldo, what he's done in his career and where he's at in his career. He, you know, what is Ronaldo sort of seeing or perceiving behind the scenes that to him shows... A disrespect. Or uh, again, we we can only ever speculate. We don't know. We're not a part of the club. We don't have sort of inside knowledge as to what's going on behind the scenes. But if it is just a power play and he's done it before the World Cup, you knowing when it comes back two and a half weeks later, the transfer window is going to be open, and United are kind of handcuffed in terms of rap. we we can't really do it now. Just get rid.
1: He won't play for Manchester United again. No, he will I'd, not play for Manchester United again. I, I'd I'm, be I'm so surprised in. if he did. I'm putting my 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 foot down for Eric Ten Hag on on behalf of my fellow baldy. He cannot play football again for Manchester United because, again, you know the timing. Like you said, it's shit by timing. It's 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 a power play so that he can, you know, say all this and drop these bombshells and then go off to port, you know, to Qatar and be Portu, Portugal's hero for a for a month. And like you say, it's 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 horrendous timing for for everybody. It's a political
2: move, isn't it? Because if it, it is. if it was something that he was really passionate about of course it is. and he had the intention of speaking out about how he was feeling rightly or wrongly or, or whatever, he feels how he feels, he's been saying this since the first couple of weeks of the season. So there's no other reason for it to have been, it's, what, it's all four, about him. four months or so? If it's all about
1: three- him. yeah, it's, it's all about him. You know, he's come in while, you know, he came into the club when Ollie was, was in charge, former teammate. Ollie historically I had a good relationship with his players, but I don't think he was very much of a disciplinarian. So these yeah. players coming in, you know, southgate wanted. Oh, don't get me started on it. <laughs> we'll speak about Lingard. him on
2: the uh, Friday's
1: release. We will. Lingard doing what he wanted, and he's done nothing at Nottingham Forest. You know, all these players just, just doing whatever they want. Training was an absolute shambles by all accounts.
2: Excuse me, sure- mate. Excuse me, excuse me. I am going to I don't want to let you go too far further with that. Calling you out on oh. something, uh, Jesse oh. Lingard has not done anything for Nottingham Forest. So I think you'll find he did the gritty after scoring a goal last weekend.
1: I'll Continue. I'll, no, I'll take I'll take Lingard out of that. Then that changes that changes that argument. But you see what I'm saying. You know, I don't think Oli was such a disciplinarian. Ronaldo came back to the club as this superstar. You know, we can argue till the cows come home as to why he came back to the club, but he did. Um, he came back as a superstar. Oli, you know, you Cristiano Ronaldo, you do what you want, and then next minute you've got Eric Ten coming in who's got the backing of the board, the backing of the sporting directors and the technical directors, the backing of the owners. And and Ronaldo, now the power's shifted in such a way that Ronaldo's, he's got no other tricks to play. He's got no other tricks up his sleeve. He tried not coming on against Spurs. Uh, he, he's he walked off the amount of times he's walked off early and left the, the ground in, you know, in, in, in this season so far. And I think Ten Hag, I think he's played it pretty much perfectly. And now, you know, has put a rope around his own neck because, Ten Hag can now come out and say to the fans, you know, we've had to get rid of Cristiano Ronaldo because he did what he did. You know, I didn't want to get rid of him when secretly Ten Hag probably can't wait to get rid of Ronaldo. What yeah. a headache he is and half a million quid a week. But he can, you know, come out now and say, listen, guys, you know, you saw what he did. I didn't make him do that. I didn't put him up to that. He did that. So we had to get rid of him. So actually, I think Ronaldo's done Ten Hag a massive, massive favour out
0: yeah, I think this is what Manchester United have been screaming out for for quite a while. A a, Manchester to, a, a manager to really take United by the scruff of the neck and, and, and push them in the right direction. They've had um, Van Gaal, they've had Moyes, they've had Mourinho, they've had Oli Gunnar as well. Managers that have, have earned the, the, the merit in their own right, but none have really had this sort of situation. They've all had Pogba to deal with and none of them really took control of that situation and Pogba could still play the games for United believing that he was Manchester United. So Alex Ferguson had none of that and you you pointed out earlier, I don't know which one of you it was, that that Beckham, Cantona, those are players that at one point felt that they were too big for Manchester United and they were out the door as quick as you could think. Ronaldo now needs to go in that same direction and that's a statement from Ten Hag that, he is, that, that nobody is bigger than the club and like you said, the name on the back is never as big as the name on the front. And this is what Manchester United have needed for a while, as opposed to managers that have kind of taken the the easy route around around things, not necessarily been disciplined or well-disciplined within the side. To have a a diva like Ronaldo, and I'm going to go to the extent of calling him a diva, the situation that he's put himself in now and Manchester United, for Ten Hag to say, right, see you later, he's on his way in January, it's a, a statement from him that Manchester United are still a big club and nobody is bigger, even the potential greatest Whoever ever play football and loads of people will argue whether he is or Messi is at the moment and I think Ronaldo is very much signing himself out of that conversation isn't he?
2: I was going to say just off the back Stay what Adam us. was saying, just off the back what Adam was saying there because I was thinking it myself like where does you spoke about the Ronaldo versus Messi thing there like where does this leave Ronaldo's legacy because this probably is going to be his last sort of chapter at a, a big club who picks him up now? off the back of this and, and what does this do for his legacy, which I suppose we won't be able to really judge until he comes back from the World Cup and, and what happens in January. But where do you both think this leaves his legacy in terms of what people look back on his career? Into my I think for
1: me, yeah, I was just I was just about to say, um I think it's difficult because he did have that opportunity to go to the Middle East, didn't he? Yeah and earn God knows how much a week for, you know, playing really low level football and and he turned it down. So I don't think that's what he wants to do. Excuse me. I do truly feel like he wants to still play in the Champions League. Um, Who that looks like and what sort of team that is. You know, I think Fenerbahce or somebody like that has been sort sort of floated around, you know, one of these clubs in, you know, countries where football's probably not as good a quality, but they are still in the Champions League. You know, could he go there? But again, A, who could afford him? And B, at this point in time, he's so diminished as a player and as a, you know, in, in terms of his attitude, you know, who would want him apart from, you know, like like, like Adam's just mentioned, uh, maybe an MLS side. I mean, I'm to be fair, the last thing I am going to say on this, I am actually going to correct myself from an earlier statement I made. I don't think... Obviously, Cantonar was a bit of a handful at times, but I don't actually think that he left the club under a cloud. I think he just decided he'd had enough football. So I'll take Cantonar out and I'll put Roy Keane in because Roy Keane, uh, yeah, he definitely thought he was a big club at the end, and I love Roy Keane. So, but yeah, I think Ronaldo's legacy um, will be will be tarnished somewhat, and I think he'll still be a legend of the game. But in terms of being a legend in Manchester, I think he's he's definitely definitely diminished his legacy there, Adam.
0: Yeah, I have to agree with that. We'll move on to um, games of the week now. So each of us have gone for a game of the week. I'm assuming none of them includes Manchester United from Sunday. But Skin, we'll start with you with your uh, game of the week from the weekend.
2: I think uh, looking at sort of the bigger games, you've got Tottenham beating Leeds 4-3. You know, I, I watched, uh, I saw the Liverpool game on Saturday and, and they played quite well beating Southampton. who were out of form, Arsenal getting that big away win. Newcastle, we, we spoke about in the preview show, that was the game of the weekend in terms of what we are expecting. They got a huge win at home to Chelsea, but I'm going to have to give credit to Brentford winning 2-1 away at Man City. Ivan Tony stealing the headlines left out of the England squad last week, which again we'll discuss at length in our World Cup preview show, but you go to the Etihad and you bag two goals and you beat a team that should, by all accounts, be winning that game. You know, I, I think it would be unfair to to not give them credit. They were around sixteen to one to beat City at the weekend. So, yeah, I'm going to say game of the week in terms of the reasons behind it and who won Brentford beating Man City two one at the Etihad. What about yourself?
0: Yeah, I'll I'll come on to my game of the week in, in just a second. Just want to mention what you said about Ivan Tony. then. I know we'll speak more about it in the World Cup preview show, but there's no bigger statement to make when a lot of people thought you were going to the World Cup than to score two goals past Manchester City and take all three points for your side, is there?
2: No. What more can you do? What more of a positive response can you have to something like that? Unless he scored a hat of, trick. Do you but, think
0: looking back on it, there is any kind of regret that maybe he should have been going?
2: Yeah, of course, there'll be regret. You know, he, he mentioned in an interview that the reason that Tammy Abraham would, had been left out was because he w- had hit a poor patch of form in the sort of couple of months before the squad was picked. Ivan Tony news came out early last week about him potentially being involved in some kind of gambling allegation that the FA was looking into, so I would think that that's the reason why I know a couple of people have mentioned it you know, in, in our circle, so I can't see any other reason why he would or should have been left out other than those allegations hanging over his head and, you know, it was more of a that's not included For me,
1: you can't you know, he says something about his attitude that you know, regardless of these allegations and whatever, we don't know what's happened there, so we can't Disparage somebody when again we don't know what's happened, but at the same time, to not get started for your country when you've had such a good start to your Premier League career and then go away to City and score two goals against Pep Guardiola's Manchester City, at, you know, at, at their ground it's it's What else can you do? What else can you say? He's not, he's not living in, you know, he's not got self-pity. He's not hanging his head disappointed. He's, he's gone out there. He's, he's absolutely smashed it and fair play to the lad. And again, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit, a bit more about the lack of selection uh, on the World Cup preview show, but you know, a little spoiler earlier from my opinion on Ivan Tony, I don't think the gambling thing made any difference. I just don't think Southgate's capable. Adam? (laughs)
0: <laughs> there we go. Yeah, no, I I have to agree with you. Um, I'll move on to my team of the week so we don't end up overplugging the World Cup show and talk about Tottenham against Leeds United as my game of the week. Um, the fact that Leeds United were winning by uh, three goals to two with 10 minutes left to go, finished the game with 10 men and two goals from Benton Kerr. I'm, I'm going to mispronounce the name, I'm pretty sure. Um, within the space of two minutes, taking all three points for Tottenham, who seemed to be a very hit and miss side most of the time anyway to go on and take three points against Leeds United who gave pretty much as good as they got and they were forced down to ten men in the very end with seven goals solidifying themselves in the top four Manchester United do have two games in hand still um, but Tottenham in fourth place three points clear of United at the moment uh, fighting for the Champions League I'm going to give it to Tottenham as uh, the game of the week their 4-3 win over Leeds I don't know if uh, you've got anything extra to add on, on that I mean some statements made by a couple of players in there as well Kemp
1: yeah, um, you've you've completely stolen my thunder on uh, on that one. That's exactly the game that I was going to go for. So, you know what, Adam, seeing as you're a Chesterfield fan, I'm going to say Chesterfield winning 5-1 away at Torquay is going to be my uh, game of the week. Uh, well, JP will yeah. be happy about that. No idea. <laughs> no idea, no idea what it was though, like. It? No idea who scored. No, But I saw the one five one, 5-1 and I'm happy for you, mate. And you stole mine. So, I shouldn't have been that nice to you, really, but... There we go. I'm,
2: I'm just very quickly just to uh, shout out another game. We spoke about our locks of the week and wild cards of the week last week, and, and for upset of the week and I gave Middlesbrough a shout out away at Norwich and, and they won 2 1. So, they yeah, probably,
1: probably had losing selections with everybody else's picks. That's the problem. And yeah, that's actually it. Adam. I thought Dawson was going to jump down your neck earlier when you were talking about Manchester United managers because you left out his boy, Michael Carrick. Mm. did yeah are we, are we <laughs> including so. how <laughs> I think Dawson would want him included put it that oh, way like Michael Mate, Carrick Mate, well,
2: Just such keep. an underrated player tell you what if if United had a prime Michael Carrick in that team now they'd, they'd be a better side for it so uh, yeah he'll it, always get my love because he's such an underrated player for me
0: Fair enough. And now starting his own management career, perhaps one day back at Old Trafford. We'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Looking towards sides that have been performing quite on the opposite spectrum, Chelsea, we've got to include. You mentioned Newcastle against Chelsea skin as one of the games to watch. In fact, the game to watch. Newcastle walked away with a 1-0 victory. Chelsea, now three defeats in a row, was... Getting rid of uh, Tuchel, the incorrect decision, or was it getting Potter in that turns out to be the incorrect decision for Chelsea? Skim, we'll start with you.
2: Well, it's a domino effect. They technically shouldn't have ever got rid of Tuchel. There wasn't really a massive need to, but now they've lost, what, four out of the last five games. They've had three tough league games in a row, to be fair to them. Chelsea, City, Newcastle, they've lost them all. They've not scored a goal in any of those three games. So, yeah, I... I mean, I suppose it's easy to put blame on Graham Potter because he's the one that's in the position now, but a lot of people question the board's decision to drop Tuchel when they did, and with every game that passes and every dropped point that, that sort of goes by, it's, it's an even more of a questionable, questionable decision. So I think the blame lies more with dropping Tuchel than it is bringing in Potter because it was, it was such a sort of mad, rushed few weeks that came out of nowhere that... You, you have to go back to the start, really, as to what started that domino effect of putting
1: them where they are now. And that sits with the board. I think you've got to say it's on the board, most definitely. The the transfer window. And again, it's, you know, how much of that was managed by Tuchel? How much of that was managed by Todd Bowley, playing football manager and not being very good at it? You know, they brought in Obama who did nothing for Arsenal towards the end and was a, a real cancer in that dressing room, to be honest. You, you've got players like Sterling, who you know, yeah, it'd been great for Man City, but I think you put Adam up top for Man City and he scores 10-15 goals a season, probably. They've brought in players that just seem diminished, not up to it, wrong attitude. And it's it's showing. And And I honestly don't think whether it's Tuchel or Graham Potter, I think are both fantastic managers. I think the problems lie much deeper than that at Chelsea. And I think, I'll be honest I've got no ill will towards Chelsea but I think it's only going to get worse before it gets better Adam
0: Yeah Skin you mentioned about the fact they hadn't scored in the last three games Aubameyang uh, dropped to the bench unused substitute Raheem Sterling not even on the bench they they are desperate to to try and find them goals but when you're dropping players like Aubameyang and Sterling perhaps some of it warranted due to performances you're not going to get many better players to to, to turn that goal scoring form around are you?
2: Now, it's a bold statement by Graham Potter to, to do that. Sterling, I don't think, has ever been prolific in front of goal at club level. He's been very successful for England over the last couple of, se- uh, sorry, couple of years, should I say. But, yeah, never been the most prolific, but he's very good at that sort of link-up play. Aubameyang is a fantastic out-and-out striker. Is he a bit past his best? Yes. But performing at Barcelona last season, so... What, what do they do next? Do they go and spend big on January? Looking at Unkoku from Leipzig for pushing 100 million, a very, very good player, but someone that may need time to adjust to the English sort of style of play and, and Chelsea style of play. So, like can't, I can't remember who said it, sorry, but it, it might get a little bit worse before it starts to get better. But a transfer window with sort of potter's choices of players, bit of money behind them. They might be able to turn it around going into sort of the last quarter of the season ready for for next year but yeah this season's looking a bit written off as it stands.
0: Just to mention on what you said then about the fact that they're looking at players that maybe need a bit more of an adjustment time to the Premier League I don't think Potter's got that and I think that's quite bad from Chelsea's part that they've got that reputation now that a manager's going to have January to bring in his own players and Potter might even be gone before the end of January that's how bad things go with Chelsea that if you have like one bad transfer window or a couple of weeks then it's a completely different situation. They've lost three on the bounce. We're about to have a break for the World Cup. They don't come back in any sort of form. He might not even see it to to halfway through January before he's given his marching orders. So you might not even get to see the players that Potter can bring in. I think he's got to look for players that already have a bit of experience within the Premier League. I think he's got to look at players that have played here before that can adjust quite quickly and adapt to not only his style of play, but the league within itself. Because... I don't think Chelsea are going to give him the time to bring in his own signings and let them settle in at the moment. Where are they in the in the Premier League at the moment? They're not even within Europe, are they, at the minute? They're in eighth place, so they're just outside of, of Europe. And with the sides in and around them with games in hand as well, they're in danger of falling behind the, the top seven. So I, I can't see it lasting too long <laughs> into January if that form doesn't turn around before Potter's gone. Kemp, I don't know if, if that's something you agree well, with. I'd
2: like to just it's jump in, in there, there very quickly, Kemp, if that's all right. Just off your just by off a your way. point there Adam of that, can, can they afford to look at players that need to adjust to the Premier League and look at players with Premier League experience it was off the back of the conversation where, where you mentioned Aubameyang had been dropped in Sterling as well and they're two players that have a lot of Premier League experience and have been successful in the league before so they've tried that approach and by the looks of it it isn't working currently so where do they go? I, I genuinely don't know I think January is it's a case of getting their summer strategy started early, but it depends on how much money the board is willing to put in. You mentioned there about Potter potentially being sacked. I think Kemp would be very happy at that. He's a he's a big advocate for Graham Potter being England manager. So, regardless of how England do in the World Cup, if Southgate decides, you know, it's time for him to move on and let someone else have a go, might be perfect timing in Kemp's world, but. I think, A, it'd be very harsh to get rid of Potter, especially considering the circumstances in which he ended up the Chelsea boss. But, yeah, it's it's tough in terms of what type of play they go for because their strategy was to go for players that had Premier League experience. And, and look at how that's going for them so far. I think they've got to start looking to the future. And, you know, there's players like Nkoku that might need a few months, might need a few weeks or or whatever, or even a season to fully adjust. He's gonna pay for them over the next three to five years and, and maybe even beyond. I'm sorry, Kent. Yeah,
1: No, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and I think should they get rid of Potter? No. You know, they should they should let Potter conduct his own recruitment, keep the nose out, you know, three or four transfer windows and, and let him build his own squad and his own identity. Will they get rid of him? If they don't improve, yeah, I think he'll be gone at the end of the season, Adam.
0: I just yeah, I just wanna say I'm not saying that they should get rid of him. I'm saying that the reputation that Chelsea have is that he won't be there till the end of the Yeah, Saturday, no, you're not wrong. Yeah, I mean.
1: you're not wrong. I completely understand what you're saying. You're not wrong.
0: But no, I agree with what you say that, yeah, he, sh- he should uh, absolutely keep the job. The side they went up against, though, Newcastle, on beating in 10 at home, now third place in the Premier League, closer to Manchester City than Manchester City are to Arsenal as it stands at the moment. They are proving to be a force to be reckoned with. Skin, I know you named them last week as the team of the season so far. They're just emphasising your point a bit more, aren't they?
2: I love to be right. And yeah, what more can I say? They're now two points behind City. Granted, City have got a game in hand, but they're absolutely flying. They've conceded their joint least amount of goals in the league at 11 uh, alongside Arsenal 11 goals conceded in 15 games averaging pretty much two per game as well averaging two points per game absolutely flying in the form I went through the form last week um, and now they've beat Chelsea 1-0 so the the break has probably come at the worst time for them because they I imagine would want to keep playing they've got the first five games after the World Cup break away to Leicester winnable game home to Leeds winnable game a massive game away at Arsenal which could quite easily be a top of the table clash by the time that comes around in early 2023 home to Fulham and away to Crystal Palace so there's quite easily at least 12 points from that 15 there which would be very interesting to see how the table looks once those five games have played Arsenal have got a few tough games coming out of of the World Cup stretch so Yeah, I'm quite excited to see where they line the table as we sort of get towards the end of the January transfer window.
0: Yeah, I think what you've just mentioned there with a couple of those games when they get back, I know you said that the break's coming at the wrong time, but the fact that they they start with, I think you said, Leicester... Um, and then maybe Fulham the game after that, I think you mentioned. Leicester, Leeds, Arsenal, Fulham, Palace. So by the time they face Arsenal, they've had that chance to regroup against Leicester, um, against Leeds. Leeds are conceding for fun at the moment. Newcastle with Alstrong there, they are defensively, I think, will be a force to be reckoned with for, for Leeds in that game if they can come back and gain that momentum and carry on from where they left off against sides, if, if they'd started the second half of the season against a side like Arsenal or Man City, then or, or Chelsea, you could probably say as well. I think you're looking at a different situation, but the fact that they've got Leicester and Leeds before they face Arsenal, yeah, it could be a top-of-the-table clash, but they've got that opportunity to get that momentum back up and running again, because I don't think too many of their players, despite the fact that they are third in the Premier League, are called up for international appearances, are they? I think... Uh, Popes, Trippier, Almiron, I, I feel, has gone up as well. Wilson, they, they've got some players up, but Bruno, not too many. as Bruno, well for Brazil. Bruno yeah, they, They've well got also. a few players they've that are going few, to the World Cup. The majority of their side has still got that nice little break to go through and before they, they restart training again, just before the game on, on I believe, Boxing Day. So, yeah, they, they could very much, when they come back, have that opportunity to gain the form before they go up against Arsenal and they could have a very strong case for deciding who wins the Premier League which I still stand by my comment from last week Kemp, I'm going to assume you're sticking by Manchester City and saying that Arsenal even with the 5 point lead at the moment are top of the Premier League and 10 of the last um, 13 sides so 11 of the last 13 teams to be top of the Premier League at Christmas has gone on to win the Premier League including uh, Leicester City
1: Hmm. Yeah, and it's it's definitely a possibility. Uh, what I will say and I remind you of is, um, weren't, weren't Arsenal dead searched to finish in the Champions League last season?
0: Uh, and, then and then what happened? And then what happened?
1: What happened? They didn't. They bottled it. And and for me, Manchester City have yeah they've struggled and they've 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 not looked unbelievable so far this season. It's going down the stretch, mate. It's going down the stretch. You know, they've, they're have they not a million miles away from Arsenal. Arsenal have been fantastic so far this season. Don't get me wrong. They really, really have. But if they don't strengthen in, in January, especially in their midfield, one or two injuries is going to de- derail them. And, in, you know, the season's 38 games. You know, it's not 13, 14 games, which is what we've played so far. So, again, Arsenal doing really well, taking nothing away from them. But I think Newcastle and again they're doing brilliantly well. I d I don't I, I think I think they'll both fall away. And that's not me disparaging them. I think they've both had fantastic starts to the season. But you just need that, that squad depth that when, you know, the, the 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 European competitions really kick into gear, late stages of the domestic cups kick into gear, you know, I've not changed my opinion. Will City win it by as many points as I thought? 10-15? maybe not. But I think they'll win it, and I still think they'll win it at Counter, to be quite honest with you. And I'm still quite happy to put a wager on it, Adam.
0: Yes, I'm still back in Arsenal. I think what you said about the fact that they bottled it, yes, fair enough, they did. They are in a very good position to finish within Champions League. But isn't that really what the the difference of a transfer window can make? You look at the players that, that Arsenal have brought in, Saliba, Jesus. Zinchenko they've only gone from strength to strength and the fact that they're not only fighting for the Champions League at this point but they're top of the Premier League they've beaten some very strong sides within the Premier League they're five points clear of Manchester City at the moment if they beat Man City I can't see I'm already saying that I feel that Arsenal are going to win the Premier League but if they beat Man City with that game in hand I think that it's pretty much all done and dusted and I think Arsenal are the Premier League champions Obviously, the job will still need to be done, but I can't see a situation in which they don't finish at the top of the Premier League should they beat Manchester City in the new year when when they face them. Skin, I don't should know.
1: Have, Shoulda, have, woulda, have, coulda. You know, if, if you're that confident, then, you know, you should be giving me better odds.
0: What odds have I given you?
1: Well, I think I think the odds were in your favour, but if you're that confident, I feel like you should give me two to one. I don't know if you agree with it. if you agree, Dawson. It's not about agreeing or disagreeing. I'm more baffled at the amount of confidence that Adams got in
2: Arsenal because you're right, Kemp, they weren't in a too dissimilar position last season and they bottled it until they've proved that they can do it. You're right to doubt that they can't do it because they haven't done it before. So, yeah, the title still sits with City for me. I know they lost at the weekend, but it's one game out of 38. I'm sure Pep will sort them out. Erling's now got time to recover from a couple of little minor injuries he's had over the last couple of weeks. It, it still cities for me and I think it will take it, it will probably take another ten games of, of good form for Arsenal for me to start doubting that City could potentially not win the league this season.
0: That's fair enough. So just to wrap things up football before we move on to week ten of the NFL season, Kemp, I'm gonna start with you this time for your player of the week.
1: I'd have to go with Ivan Tony. I think not just because of his performance on the pitch but again I think that psychological side of things you know you've worked so hard for the the opportunity to be involved in the World Cup and play for your country and he's done everything that I think he possibly can and he's been unceremoniously left out and dumped and to take that and spin it on its head and use it as a positive and go away and you know do what he did player of the week for me no question Adam. Skin? Well,
2: I was going to say Ivan Tony, but you've kind of left me in a predicament now, where I feel I should go for someone different just for the sake of it. Um, Adam, I will like to take a guess at yours being Martin Odegaard for Arsenal because <laughs> yes his two goals. Yeah, there we go. I, I can only assume it's a because you're absolutely adamant Arsenal are going to win the league, but also because those two goals and Arsenal's win won you the last one standing that I'm currently uh, running. So, yeah, those are the that, exact that two Marla. reasons as well. Well, I'll tell you what, why don't you uh, give any more reasons to the listeners to back that up while I ever think about who my backup player of the week is going to be?
0: I think throughout the season, Odegaard's been one of those players that Arsenal can rely on and when they need it the most, they can just he can just turn into second gear and, and find a goal from absolutely nowhere. And whilst Arsenal were dominating possession against Wolves, you still had that sneaky little feeling that Wolves were a side that could just out of nowhere get a goal against Arsenal. And I think the first goal that Odegaard got really set the wheels in motion for Arsenal to go and get a second one. I think the fact that he's been so confident with how he's been playing, passing style moving forward, getting into those positions to make things very difficult for opposition defences. I think as soon as they got that first goal, it very much demoralised Wolves and opened up the opportunity for him to get that second. Uh, I think as a, a player, he's been fantastic for Arsenal this season, reliable in these sort of situations where he can just turn, like I say, turn up out of nowhere and, and get you a couple of goals. To get you three points and push you further to the top of the league I've tried to let that go as long as I can skin I'm afraid
2: so good mate I'm prepped and ready um, I'm going to give it to the new Liverpool fan favourite Darwin Darwin Nunes he came from Benfica and he's now playing for the big reds as we know Uh I think he's he's starting to adjust now to the English game. A lot of hype when he joined them about him going to Liverpool for a lot of money, Erling Haaland going to City for less money and what kind of contributions they make to their respective teams. Erling obviously has had the start that he's had. Darwin Nunes, not so much, but he looks like he's, he's starting to slowly adjust now. He's scored quite a few goals in the Champions League, not so many in the league, but two goals at the weekend. He's got a lot of work rate. He's, he's grafting for the team you can see it not just in sort of trying to create attacking plays but in terms of breaking up plays getting back he, he wants it he's clearly a hard worker and yeah I can see him becoming a, a fan favourite uh, at Anfield sooner rather than later so I'll go Darwin Nunes for my player of the weekend
0: Fantastic thank you lads in just a few moments time we'll be talking about the NFL and wrapping up week 10 of the NFL season including an absolute cracker that took place in Buffalo Welcome back to episode 3 of Loaded Sport. We're now going to look at reviewing week 10 of the NFL action, starting with an incredible game, potentially game of the season, that took place in Buffalo, where the Bills fell to a 30-33 defeat against the Minnesota Vikings. You may recall last week in the preview show, I mentioned that with or without Allen, the Vikings go on and win this, and they did so in incredible fashion, taking it to overtime before getting the field goal that would end it all. And then the Bills, on their return... Josh Allen threw a pick into the end zone to finish the game off. It was a fantastic game all the way through. The Vikings looked pretty much down and out. Turned things up. Allen went off with a bit of an injury. I think he lost a little bit of uh, of confidence in that. Came on with about a minute and 20 left heading into the, in the fourth quarter. Got it all the way up the field to get the final field goal, but... It just goes on to say, I think it's since week four skin that you mentioned, the Bills have not scored a touchdown in the second half, and that continues. And that could be the difference maker between the Bills getting guaranteed home games in the playoffs or having to make travels. They've fallen to third in the AFC East as a result of losing against the now 8-1 and Minnesota Vikings. They've been putting up incredible performances to show why they or a force to be reckoned with, a side that could maybe upset a couple in the playoffs as well and push towards, dare I say it, the championship game, if not the Super Bowl? Is that a, maybe a bit too much of a bold prediction, Kemp?
1: No, how can you say it is? You know, they've they've, they've surprised everybody this season. There's not, I don't think there's anybody that expected them to do what they're doing. And you made your sort of comment, and I thought it was a bit of a bold prediction last week that the result would go the same way with or without Allen and it did and and hats off to you there i think with my lsu boys leading the charge uh, i think they can definitely go all the way but you need to keep focused you need to make sure that they're not you know don't, don't take anything for granted they're in a really strong position they've just beat a really really good team who i think a lot of people predicted to potentially win the super bowl this year um and and they passed that test you know they didn't pass it with flying colors but The W is what matters at the end of the day, Adam.
0: Absolutely. And, Skin, the Bills are in your division, so it makes it a bit sweeter to see them fall to this sort of defeat. doesn't really open the door up for the Patriots very much, though, but do you still feel that the Bills could go on and win the AFC East quite confidently? You look at the sides that are performing there at the moment, the Dolphins, they don't look like anybody's going to stop them, but neither did the Bills.
2: Yeah, very true. I mean, they're only In terms of records, they're only one game behind Dolphins in first and two behind Jets, but they have lost to both those teams as well, which gives them the advantage they're essentially two and three games behind. So as it stands, it's looking like a potential wildcard spot for, for Buffalo, which then leads to potential road games and stuff in the playoffs. So a lot of people, including myself, back in the Bills preseason for at least – to be the team representing the AFC in the Super Bowl it's they're making it look like it's going to be a hard run I, you mentioned there about second half touchdowns since week 6 just six to uh, make sure we're giving our listeners the the factual information um Josh Allen is uh, now 0 Four in his career in games that go to overtime so you know struggling getting over that line Again, something that like comes up to the playoffs or comes up in the playoffs, is that going to play on his mind that he's yet to win a game in his career in overtime, especially with the circumstances of how they went out to the Chiefs last year. So, yeah, look, thought we're talking a lot about the Bills and how they lost, but there's got to be some conversation and some time given to the Vikings. Despite going into that game 7-1, and one, not a lot of people gave them much hope of winning that game and they did a phenomenal game from Justin Jefferson who has turned into... It, well I was going to say a top three wide receiver in the league right now is he the, the best wide receiver in the league I think a lot of people would say that he is is you know all time a catch that he made towards the end of the game for me OBJs is still better but that doesn't take away from the incredible effort and the the incredible stats that he delivered in that game so yeah all credit to Minnesota they're now 8-1 they've got a massive gap between them and the rest of the teams in the NFC North so yeah Eagles lose a game They're going to be battling for that number one seed and and that bye week uh, in in wildcard weekend. So, yeah, full credit to them, really.
0: Definitely. I think
1: I can diagnose the Buffalo Bills' problems as well. I think they just need to come to me and ask what the problem is. is that? Well, I don't know if you know, but they um, lost their offensive coordinator at the end of last season. I'm aware of that, yeah. And they're also their assistant GM left at the end of last season as well. That's correct. Um, And now look at them. That's all I'm saying, Adam.
0: I was just about to ask you your opinion on their rushing game as well. I've noticed that you've got Na'im Hines in your uh, fantasy lineup, not for for the the options. That I won't read, got I wouldn't read too much of options, into that because you've got lack of options. But once again, Josh Allen is leading in rushing yards in the Buffalo Bills. It they they've made a trade on deadline to get Na'im Hines in. They're trying to get him up to speed on the on this playbook. That's now two weeks they've had to get him ready for it. He didn't have a rushing attempt. Josh Allen again. Carrying the side in terms of rushing yards, nearly double what Devin Singletary got. That's very much where where their rushing game is, isn't it? Within Josh Allen,
1: it seems strange. It seems very strange to make those type of moves and then not use him. If that makes sense, it it, it seems quite weird. And Josh Allen, you know, he's got wheels. He can run. You know, there's no question, and nobody's asking. And, and that's not that's not even you know like I say, that's not even a question. But to add those weapons um, at running back and then not utilize those weapons you know whether it be just to you know confuse the defense or give josh allen a bit of a break when it comes to running the football it seems weird and it it doesn't seem like they can get them integrated into the into the system and, and get them up and running probably as quickly as they'd like to adam
0: absolutely um we'll go over to you now skin for your game of the week
1: it's tough there's
2: there's a lot of games i say there's a lot of games there's a few games that i could give it to do you look at packers getting a big overtime win against cowboys do you, look at, do you look at Dolphins putting up nearly 40 points against the Browns and starting to look like a dominant team in the AFC? Do you give it to Lions getting a great fourth quarter win against the Bears and winning 31-30? I've called that being a high scoring game and a great game for the neutral and that's what it turned out to be but I'm going to I'm gonna avoid the higher scoring games and, and I'm going to go for it for a different reason and, and give the love to Bucks versus Seahawks Bucks winning 21-16 and it being a, a historical game because it was the first to be held in Germany, in Munich at Allianz Arena, home of Bayern Munich. So atmosphere was absolutely incredible. I know, Adam, you were looking at going there with, with you being a Seahawks fan, but just the demand for tickets was unreasonable and unrealistic to expect to get a ticket at a good price. So I think it was three million people had shown interest or requested a ticket for the game on Sunday, which gives you a bit of an idea as to the, the sort of hunger for it in Germany and, and surrounding countries. So, yeah, the crowd were phenomenal. I think they were treated to a great fourth quarter where it looked like the Seahawks could come back up until that point. Bucks had dominated the game. It was 14-3 going into the fourth, but 20 points in that fourth quarter gave them a great end, and I think they they really appreciated it. They, they were fully engaged with the game. Singing uh, Country Road, Take Me Home by John dever in that sort of fourth quarter game closing drive by the bucks was was a highlight of the season for me. It was absolutely brilliant. And the game day boys, you know, eyes and Kurt Warner and the rest of the lads absolutely loved it as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give that some love and say that that's my, uh, that's my game of the week. And it'll be really interesting now to see where the NFL and, tries to expand to next with these uh, international series. Do they go a bit further east? It, it, you know, I think the, the more, these international games get acclaim and, and get the the interest that they're getting. Like I just said, they're the figures from the game in Germany. The game at Wembley that I was at just a couple of weeks ago is the highest ever attendance for a game in London at 86,000. The the appetite and the hunger is continuing to grow, despite the fact that we're getting more and more exposure to it. It doesn't seem to be dying down. So, yeah, I'm really interested to see where they go next with these international series games. Kem, what about you, mate? What's your game of the week.
1: Gonna to have to shout out to our good mate Sam uh, currently still enjoying life in Orlando Florida feels like he's moved there Seems yeah like well, he's it's just, gone, I can't gone remember gone so long at this point
2: I can't remember um, how long he's there and I can't remember when he's coming back so I'm starting to think he's got a nice little sort of arcade job like Jake Peralta and Holt when they go undercover or they're going to witness protection Greg, Greg, yeah, yeah, Greg and Larry I, like I, feel, like I, feel, I feel like that's the kind of lifestyle that he's leading at the minute and he's never coming back which is a shame but you know, as long as he's happy
1: that's For Sam, it's not a shame, is it?
2: Well, oh, no, but me being selfish, it's, it's a shame if he's oh, gone to Orlando course. and I might never
1: yeah. see him again. Well, they might just have to get us a job at the fun zone, eh? Yeah. Might just have to get us a job at the fun zone.
0: Wow. Uh,
1: yeah, I'm going to go, I'm gonna go uh, Green Bay Packers um, against the Dallas Cowboys. Obviously, a nice result for the New York Giants, um, which is great, but yeah, I, I think the Packers, the, the defence showed a lot of grit and resilience. Um, Dak didn't look 100%. Um, but you know he's, he's he's he was out for a few weeks. Is he still getting back in? You know back to grips with with playing football. I, I don't know. You know you can make excuses for the Cowboys all day, um, but the Green Bay Packers really showed a lot of heart and a lot of desire. Um, Aaron Rodgers three touchdowns, no interceptions, had a really steady game. Um, and it seems to me as though you know just when people are counting Aaron Rodgers out, you know he comes out of the woodwork and um, and proves people wrong. Adam.
0: Yeah, I've, I've got to agree with you on that. And it could be a bit of a turnaround for Green Bay. They've been struggling on offense, but they absolutely ran the ball down. Dallas was thrown in there, and and Aaron Jones and uh, A.J. Dillon just carried a lot of what the offense did. And then when Rodgers was called upon to make some of those passing plays, he, he hit it on the point every single time and proved why for the last two years he's he's been voted as MVP. I pretty much confirm that he won't get it this year, but it, it could be a turn of... Round four, the Green Bay Packers. They're not going to catch the Vikings. I think that's already out of the window, but there's nothing stopping them from still making their way into perhaps a wild card spot and, and get themselves into the playoffs. And I think for Green Bay, based upon how their season started, that's still going to be a win for them. And then it leads you to the question of what do they do next season? With Aaron Rodgers, do they let him move on to something new? Do they keep him, or, or do they maybe move on to Jordan Love? W- what is the situation in Green Bay? If he keeps on putting performances like that, and like we said, a fourth quarter comeback at halftime, they were level, Dallas carried through the third, Green Bay carried through the fourth, and then at overtime got that field goal to to be the deciding factor. Aaron Rodgers has proven that he can still do, do it, even without his star wide receiver of uh, Devontae Adams. So the question is going to be now... Can he carry that even further into the next couple of games and try and make a playoff run for it? What do you think, Skin?
2: Well, I was just about to say there with you saying about Rogers getting the job done without Devontae Adams. Big shout out to uh, Christian Watson, get having a career day in his rookie season, four receptions, 107 yards, three of those being touchdowns. So a bit of bit of chemistry, a bit of bonding, and you know, a bit of. Connection between Rogers and Watson, fantastic game from him. The the stats continue to show that when Aaron Jones gets over 100 yards, Cowboys, sorry, Cowboys, uh, Packers win 138 yards and a touchdown, and they won a game. I think the, the stats where Jones has 100 yards plus rushing are overwhelmingly positive, and the stats when Aaron Jones has less than 100 yards are overwhelmingly negative in terms of how many games Packers win when that's the case. So, yeah give James 100 plus yards more than likely Packers are going to win and and you know, they stuck to that game plan at the weekend but yeah Christian Watson four receptions three touchdowns over 100 yards uh, massive credit to him and, and what he delivered
1: on Sunday
0: So we're going to move on now to players of the week we'll start first of all with you Kemp who have you gone for this week
1: Do you really need to ask Go Tigers Jefferson, unbelievable. I mean, what a catch. I agree with Dawson that it's not quite as good as the other LSU boy, uh, OBJs, against Dallas Cowboys. But, I mean, yeah, what an unbelievable catch. What an unbelievable performance. And, you know, he, he, he's such a, a versatile player. He's, he's I've seen that in some sections of Twitter, which is very unreliable, some people even saying, you know, can he have a, a couple to three to, to much when it's all said and done? Yeah. Um, very very early to be saying things like that but it's such a you know he's such a promising player and he's still so young um he's got to be my player of the week and uh no matter who my uh my lsu boys play for i'm uh always backing that team secretly we're as bad as uh as bad as dib next but always backing that team secretly because they've got uh, a few tigers on there adam but yeah no question for me yeah jefferson player of the week
0: i think that's a very fair shout i can't really argue against it, especially considering the catch that he made as well. And he just seems to be Mr. Reliable, doesn't he? Kirk Cousins just always looks for him and always seems to find him. And him and the experience of Adam Thielen as well is really making the Vikings a, a statement team this year to, to go on and cause some damage to other sides. Skin, will come across to you for your Player of the Week.
2: I'm actually going to stick with Christian Watson. Uh, you know, There's a few players, Patrick Mahomes, again, going under the radar despite the fantastic performances he's put in. I think he's set the bar so high for himself that people aren't really paying that much attention to him. Justin Fields, he's now, despite being a quarterback, at over 300 yards rushing over the last two weeks. Christian Kirk, nine receptions, two touchdowns, over 100 yards against the Chiefs. I really, really wanted him off you last week um in fantasy league so i could play him so i'm thankfully I, I I won still but yeah really really wanted him as i was expecting a good game but he over delivered but yeah i think Christian Watson as a rookie three touchdowns over 100 yards and two of those touchdowns coming in the fourth quarter to help them come back from a two touchdown deficit to then win the game i'll uh, I'll show the rookie some love this week
0: that's got to give him a lot of confidence as well, isn't it? Considering what Aaron Rodgers, I mean, normally as a rookie, you struggle to get into the NFL or you just hit the ground running. And with Green Bay, it seems to be a case of they've been struggling, but you've had that had that extra pressure from your quarterback showing that he's not really got much faith in yourself as a rookie when he's been doing media appearances. So to be able to turn it up and put in a performance like that, it's got to give him a lot of confidence, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, definitely. We spoke, couple of weeks ago in regards to rogers as a team player and yeah him and uh romeo dubs has been sort of stop start in terms of the niggling injuries and things like that so yeah a bit of a breakout performance for him see how that takes him into the uh, rest of the season and romeo Dobbs, not Dubs. it's spelled d-o-u-b-s it always throws me off there we go
0: i'm gonna go with christian kirk I was worried that when you said Christian, you were going to go with Kirk anyway. I'm going to go with Christian Kirk. Nine receptions, 105 yards, two touchdowns against the Kansas City Chiefs. Very much gave them as good as they got the Jags. And I still think they're a side that could maybe get into maybe a late run towards the playoffs if they can pick up some form. Um, and I think Christian Kirk's just been integral to that he's a top 10 wide receiver in terms of statistics so far this season I, I, I've been promising and I've been telling you all through the season haven't I that I feel a lot more of his worth than a lot of people do and I think that's just another example of of how he's managing to find this separation amongst defenses and putting a performance like 105 yards in just nine receptions uh, averaging nearly 12 per reception it's just an incredible performance against the chief side that they just don't look like being stopped at all, do they? So the Jags, I think, put in a very good performance in Kirk, carrying that through from the receiving side of things. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. Christian Kirk
2: got a lot of... Well, he had a lot of negative spotlight on him in the off-season because of him joining the Jags. Well, not because of him joining the Jags, but how much money Jags were going to be paying him for him to join them. So, yeah you cannot argue or you cannot fault the impact that he's had on that team record aside and, and overall team performance aside, he, he has turned out to be a real shining light on that offensive season alongside Travis Etienne, who's just started to break out over these last three or four weeks. So, yeah, he's he's Mr. Re- he's Mr. Reliable for Trevor Lawrence so far this season. And, yeah, he's he's earning that very, very, very good wage that he uh, decided to sign for in the off-season. So, yeah, full credit to him.
0: I can say there's a lot of questions that were asked about the amount of money that he's going to be paid. And that that's why I, I picked him up in in fantasy football, because I felt that with the Jags, with Lawrence, they, they're clearly paying him like a wide receiver one. They're going to use him like a wide receiver one. I realise that I have also said that the Jags could maybe make a late push for the playoffs. They are 3-7 and seven at the moment, and it does look unlikely. However, I think if they put in performances similar to what they put in against the 7-2 and two Chiefs, I don't think they could go far wrong. I think you can't fault the effort that they put in against Kansas City and Mahomes and a a very strong Chiefs side. Yeah.
2: It's a bit topsy turvy this season for them. I saw them at Wembley and they weren't particularly great, to be honest. You know, Lawrence got picked off twice. ETM was absolutely phenomenal. They've got a long way to go, but they've got a very, they've got some. I want to say a lot but maybe not a lot but they've got a few very good young pieces in there that they they drafted high so the future is a bit bright in Jacksonville they're not in their strongest division so there's some hope they're going into the next season or two depending on if they get these next couple of off-seasons right with free agency and drafting i
0: would got them down as my bold prediction along with Detroit Lions i would got both the Jags and the Lions making the playoffs and I can confidently say that is not going to happen this season
2: well, I'm just going to very quickly touch on that because I said about, you know, predicting our anytime touchdown scorer who we fancied. I picked CMC who got a touchdown yesterday for San Francisco as part of the win against Chargers. Kemp picked Saquon Barkley who again got that touchdown contributing to the win against Houston Texans. For you, for some reason, decided to go rogue and, and go for Chubba Hubbard. So I'm glad I didn't decide to sort of think right. I'm going to back. I'm going to back our treble that we pick each or we pick a selection for each because you would have let us down with that outlandish pick but we'll see what Thursday brings and, and see who we fancy for week 11
0: I think I'm going to have to go a bit more sensible moving forward <laughs> with these because uh, Tuba Hubbard was a very like you say rogue pick and Deontay Foreman just any sort of rushing plays that the Panthers are going for is always going through him at the moment and Hubbard's just not going to perform much at all is he? So we'll move on no. to the predictions, as you mentioned. We'll be doing our predictions on Thursday um, ahead of this weekend's games. Of course, we've got tonight's game, or Monday night's game, still to go on at the time of recording. It is still tonight's game. The Eagles against the Commanders. Uh, Kemp, we'll come across to you for your prediction first. This is going to be a very difficult one for you to try and find some middle ground for, isn't it?
1: What would I like to happen? I'd love the Commanders to come out and, and show out and you know prove that Philadelphia are mortal don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I think the Philadelphia Eagles are going to run away with it. Uh, and I think they're going to <laughs> keep running away with it for, for a decent amount of time. It's going to be an Eagles win, maybe by a couple of scores, Dawson.
2: Um, I'm going to go Eagles just because they're 8-0. But I'm going to give Washington a little bit of love and say that they're absolute buggers. The games are winning a close. The games are losing a close. They are staying in games. Eagles, a couple of their wins have been close uh, as well. So I'm going to go Eagles, but I'm going to say that it'll be n- by no more than a touchdown.
0: I'd love to, like Kemp said, sit here and tell you that Washington are going to upset the odds and beat the Eagles. And I, I really can't see where it's going to come from if they were going to. I think the Eagles are just too strong on both sides of the ball. And the trade just before the deadline as well just emphasised how strong they are. And it, it was bizarre when I looked at the strength of their side and they are still at this moment in time set to have the sixth pick in the draft, and it's just crazy to think that the Eagles are in that sort of situation. Their Super Bowl window is open, and it doesn't look like it's shutting anytime soon, does it?
2: No, absolutely not. But again, Vikings are in there. I think NFC is a, is a little bit weak this season, but you know we all, we all know about any given Sunday and kind of lost somewhere. Like a team against Commanders just derailed their form a little bit and you know, cause them to lose a few games going in towards the playoffs. So it, it, we're way, way, way off of, of sort of thinking about who's going to be where come the end of the season. But just touching on that point, Speaking of the predictions, one thing that I wanted to ask you about well, now, we're at the halfway point of the season, and I just mentioned there, we have no idea what can happen between now and the end of the regular season and who will be where once we get to that point. I just want to revisit our pre-season Super Bowl predictions and see if either of you have got any changes that you'd like to make. So, Kemp, I'm going to start with you. You predicted the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to beat the Buffalo Bills in the upcoming Super Bowl. What's your thoughts on that so far, and is that something you'd like to change?
1: Yeah, it's been allowed to change, but I don't know what to. Uh, it's been such a topsy-turvy season so far, with teams coming out of the woodwork like the Vikings and the Eagles, and teams that you you thought were going to do okay in the Eagles' sense of things. But like I say, Vikings have absolutely come out of nowhere. The Giants have surprised a few people, and and teams such as the Packers and and the Bills and maybe haven't lived up to expectations. So it's very very difficult to to decide what I'd <laughs> want to possibly change that to, to be honest with you, because it's it's just so unpredictable at the minute. I think it's it's difficult you not think.
2: I agree. Um, Adam, we actually picked the same Super Bowl winner and the same runner-up, so I'll just quickly discuss mine and I'll head over to you. But I had the Buffalo Bills to beat the LA Rams. I am going to change that. And I'm going to repeat a Super Bowl from uh, just a couple of years ago during the pandemic, in a near-empty stadium and go for the Kansas City Chiefs to beat the San Francisco 49ers, I think, at the half point of the season. That's where our minds currently sitting. Chiefs are... By their standards going a bit under the radar a little bit. Mahomes, as I said earlier, is just playing outstanding football that's not really been recognised because of the high bar he set himself and San Francisco just starting to get back into form. They've got a couple of players that have returned from injury. CMC is looking like a fantastic addition because he is staying healthy. I think come the playoffs in a, in a one-game shootout type you know, scenario that the playoffs are they they could get to that point. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Chiefs to beat 49ers of my mid state mid season Super Bowl prediction. Adam, are you also gonna change Bills to beat Rams or are you gonna stick with that for now?
0: I'm gonna change both. I'm gonna change uh Dolphins to beat Eagles, I think in the Super nice. Bowl. Before the season started, I heard Tyreek Hill say that Tua was the best quarterback to throw the ball to him and the fact that Tyreek set the record that he's set already Jalen Waddle isn't too far behind as well Tua is just throwing the ball for fun he's finding Tyreek he's finding Waddle on the other occasion he's finding Jasicki the fact that they've now got Jeff Wilson in the backfield as well as Raheem Moster just going from strength to strength that side and I think that when it comes up against a side like the Bills providing that side can stay healthy I can't see where the Dolphins get tripped up all the way through the Eagles are going to be a very strong side they've proven that already and I think when it comes to the playoffs in any given Sunday they're going to have a bit more ex- well not necessarily experience in terms of the playoffs and they're going to come up against more experienced sides but I think the quality that the Eagles have got is more than anybody in the NFC at the moment like Kemp's already said the NFC this season isn't the strongest at all, you look at some of the sides that are leading their divisions, like the Seahawks we're playing good, but I don't think we're anywhere near the Eagles standard, the bucks they're on a, just, just gone over a 0.5 record I believe at the moment Yeah, find a bit of form Yeah, they're starting to find a little <laughs> bit of form and Tom Brady is really the only thing that you can look at within that Bucks and say he's got that true experience that'll be able to carry them through Mike Evans is getting a few injuries here and there so they're having to keep on relying on, on Godwin and, and Julio Jones as well I think you look at some of the other sides. I had Kemp cough. I'm assuming he wants to say something about the Giants. They're not going to the Super Bowl. We're no, to... no, not at
1: all, not at all. I Actually, sort of cough when you mentioned the Buccaneers because you mentioned they've just sort of tipped the scales over onto the the point five, uh, um, you know, win loss ratio. I think the four and four or five and five at this point. Uh, five and five now they are two and one in the division, but I think they're still going to get there. I think they're still going to do it. And I think they're still going to get to the Super Bowl. I don't think it's going to be against the Bills. Uh, I think it's probably going to be against the Kansas City Chiefs. And I do think we're going to get Brady versus Mahomes one more time. I, I can see Brady pulling it out of the bag. I feel like the, the Buccaneers have, have won some really tough games recently. And I, I'm going to change one of my predictions, but not both of them, Dawson. That's fair.
2: Brady has is probably the only player to have Mahomes' number uh, throughout his career so far yeah, he's, he's they beat are him two and
1: two. they are two and two in games i wouldn't but
2: I wouldn't what about the big far. what about the big games though afc championship brady beat him arrowhead super bowl first one for the books beat the chiefs so
1: yeah or main... you know you mentioned he's got his number but if they're two and two in games i think it's ambitious to say that i know you're a big brady fan uh, i do i do get that the 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 the, the sort of situation. i'd, I'd say the in.
2: status of the games that brady's won yeah no I, I agree it's with like that goal difference in it you know that. what i mean
1: it's like yeah you difference. can't disagree with that that's absolutely right but you know they are two and two and brady's got a lot more experience but Mahomes is a lot more athletic so you know i think everybody uh who who's a fan of the nfl um would definitely be salivating at a uh chiefs bucks Bowl. adam
0: everyone seems to have stepped away from the bengals everyone seems to have just like completely negated the fact that the Bengals are still within the AFC and they could be in the playoffs. And Joe Burrow and the wide receiver core that he's got, the fact that Boyd, Chase and Higgins are all over, I believe now 500 yards. They're the only team in the NFL that have got all three of their wide receivers over 500 receiving yards each, I believe it is. I know it was 400 a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think the
2: issue with that is... The, the thing that stopped them last season was that O-line and the protection that Burrow was getting, and looking at the season so far, that's not quite been fixed. They put a lot of work in to fix it, but it's they not did. quite there yet, so is that going no. to be the thing that they get it's found still, out yeah. about? But Super Bowl. Anyone that's listening that likes the NFL, you know, feel free to Sort of hit us up on any of our social media pages whether that be Facebook, just search for Loaded Sport, give us a like and follow uh, Twitter at Loaded Sport or Instagram at Loaded under Sport and let us know what your predictions are, who's going to get to the Super Bowl from the AFC who's going to get there from the NFC and obviously let you, let us know who you think is going to come out on top, it would be interesting to see what people's thoughts are at the halfway stage of the season.
0: Absolutely we'll be back in just a few moments time, we'll be joined by Josh Meller. anything about formula one that he doesn't know isn't worth knowing and we're going to look at the penultimate race of the 2022 f1 season and just what is going on with red bull at the moment Welcome back to episode 3 of Loaded Sport, where we're now going to talk about the penultimate race of the 2022 Formula 1 season that took place in Brazil this past weekend. It was the first win of the season for Mercedes, and Max Verstappen fell almost outside of the points. There's plenty of talking points, and to join us to go through this is a bloke who I, I know very well has been to multiple uh, Silverstone Grand Prix and has actually been on the track there and had a former Formula One driver drive a go-kart that he built on Silverstone. Hello and good afternoon to uh, Josh. Welcome to uh, Loaded Sport, Josh. Good afternoon,
3: Adam. Uh, A pleasure to be on the show. Thank you very much.
0: I think based upon that intro that I've just given you, I think the first thing we've got to do is ask a little bit more information about how you managed to get Johnny Herbert driving your go-kart at Silverstone. I
3: know, wow, you you make me sound like a, a... A huge celebrity but uh, um no uh, it, it was um during the grand prix weekend in 2018 uh, the, the british grand prix uh i was just sat in the stand watching the cars go by and then one of the producers tapped me on the shoulder and asked if i wanted to join in the the, the sky sports f1 challenge so you can't say no to that it's like it's once in a lifetime opportunity so i just went down onto the track uh with some other strangers I'd never met and we started building this, this go-kart over the next hour really? and I had absolutely no idea who was going to drive it until a few minutes before it happened so it, they kept cutting back to us asking us questions and it, it was really surreal really really surreal I
0: can only imagine um, the sort of excitement you'd got when you found out it was with Johnny Herbert that was driving the go-kart for you and uh, you kept the go-kart as well didn't you of the entire of your team you're the one that kept the go-kart
3: I did, I'm looking at it right now, I've still got it, uh, signed by the man himself and uh, a couple of the, the other presenters, but yeah, um, Johnny, Johnny got in it, and you had to do this sort of slalom between cones and then down the the, the, the main pit straight again, and uh, we somehow won the race. I think the Red Bull team lost a wheel, and they, they didn't actually finish, and we just uh, narrowly beat McLaren, so it was uh, a very tight race, but... Uh, yeah, that that was so amazing, and uh, uh, just watching it back a few times, I've always got the like the biggest grin on my face, uh, 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 and just remembering the emotions of that of that day and that weekend as well. It was it was really really fantastic.
0: I can imagine it'll be uh, memories that you go on to cherish. You've just mentioned then about beating uh, Red Bull and beating McLaren. You're representing Team Mercedes. So we'll start talking about what happened in Brazil with Team Mercedes as George Russell finished on the top step of the podium. And for the first time this season, Mercedes managed a one two and for the first time this season we could go even a step further the same mercedes managed to finish on the stop top step of the podium um at the final point of a grand prix george russell and lewis hamilton now with the uh, the, the season with one race left of the season should i say the fact that we are now championship done we know that uh, max verstappen has won we know that red bull have won there's nothing left to fight for from either of those teams do you think this is a turning point for mercedes or do you think this is a point now where Red Bull and Ferrari are building for next year and maybe not focusing as much on these final two races that it was just their for Mercedes.
3: I think it is a turning point, Adam. You've got to remember back in March, February, March, uh, and look at where they were. They were they were nowhere. They were more than a second off the pace. They were getting lapped in uh in races. Hamilton was lapped at the uh uh second race of the season. Um and it was it was totally miserable. they would they didn't know how to set up the car they they tried all sorts of setups hamilton himself said he tried uh uh all sorts to get to get the um the best out of the car and and that they just couldn't work out porpoising the bouncing down the straights uh and the the the, the dragginess of the how draggy draggy the car was down uh, down the straights as well but they had all sorts of problems and um, they introduced an upgrade at Silverstone and then another one at Austin, and it's been a very slow progression. But they finally cracked it. The straight line of speed is still something we need to work on, but the the efficiency of that car is a lot better. And in the last couple of races, they've been fighting for wins. Last three now, they've been fighting for wins. So it's a, it is a turning point, Adam. And with a, only a m- minimal amount of uh, regulation changes going into next year it could be uh, game on again for Mercedes in terms of fighting for the 2023 championship. But who knows?
0: There was only a second and a half difference between Lewis and uh, George Russell when they both crossed the chequered flag. It means Lewis still has that one race left this season to be able to really go out there and and continue his streak, isn't it? I believe it's is it every season he's been in Formula One. He's won at least one race per season. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, that's right. So uh, it's... Uh, it, it's probably not a, a stat that means a great deal to him. He'd it, like to keep it going, obviously, but uh, I don't think he'll he'll be too concerned if he doesn't manage to do it. I think they have got another great chance in Abu Dhabi. The car just seems to work uh, in the high downforce, low downforce areas of the track. That third sector in Abu Dhabi will, will really suit them. And they, they seem to have solved a, a lot of the issues they've had with with uh, straight line speed and. and aero efficiency uh, on long on long straights. So, I I think they'll be in the running. Red Bull will of course be a lot stronger in Abu Dhabi than they were in Brazil, uh, with with more more practice sessions uh, than you get in a sprint weekend, more time to perfect the car, which always suits them uh, more this year. So, I think Mercedes will fight for the win again, but Red Bull perhaps will have a little bit too much with with Max, uh, who's been flying this season, he's been absolutely brilliant.
0: Certainly has. And we're going to be uh, talking about Red Bull at length now because of uh, what happened on Sunday. We'll start by speaking to you, Skin, because you are a Red Bull fan. There's a lot of tension going on at the moment, something that Josh will know as a Mercedes fan from past years with Lewis Hamilton and and Bottas and Rosberg and, of course, when Lewis was at, at, at McLaren as well. At the moment, it just seems to be clicking on the track in terms of things for Verstappen but a lot of that Perez is now is saying is down to him there was a lot of discussion about the fact that Verstappen didn't let Perez pass him just before the, the race finished he says that he's made it, it clear before that he's not willing to do that it's just one story for one one story for another isn't it at the moment as a Red Bull fan that, that can't fill you with confidence can it
2: no and Josh you know tell me if, if I'm wrong in saying this but it seems to have come a little bit out of nowhere you know Red Bull have had a fantastic season They're most dominant season for a very, very long time. I know they won the championship last season but as we know went down to the race uh, sorry, the last race and was won under controversial circumstances but you know, pretty much since the very early stages of the season it's been pretty obvious that Red Bull were going to be the team to to dominate this season and I don't really know where it's come from. You know, the original order was for Perez to let Verstappen past, for him to chase um, Alonso in fifth and you know the agreement was if that were to happen, if he didn't get past Alonso and into fifth place going into the final sort of last few corners, he'd let Perez back to get those extra points to stay ahead of Leclerc. And he, he just said no. And yeah, I, I want to support Verstappen, you know, he's, he's the, the main reason for the team's recent success, but it's hard to do that because you can only go off of what you've got in front of you. You can only go off of what's been said in the media on Sky Sports News. And he's had plenty of time and opportunity to give his side of the story, but he refused to do that. You know, he said he'd given the team his reasons. He wasn't going to say why he didn't do it. So it's not like we're reacting to this live and we're going, oh, he's an absolute idiot. What is he doing? Like he's had the chance to come out and give his side and he's, he's chosen not to do that. So it's hard to really justify his actions or, or understand them when he's not saying why he did it. But, yeah, I, I think it's a bit of a shame, really. Think about the, the work Perez has done. I'd argue that that race in Abu Dhabi last season was probably the best teammate performance of all time in terms of how yeah. it benefited the you know, the other driver. Um, so, yeah, it's really hard to say what I think about it because we don't know the full story, but what we do know Really puts Max in a bit of a poor light, really, as a as a teammate. So we'll see what happens next weekend. He's come out after the race, after the debrief that they had, and said he's got full intention of helping Perez get the points that he needs to, you know, make sure he finishes second. But yeah, it, it's a really strange one that seems to, like I said, just come out of nowhere. It doesn't seem to have been something that's at the end of something that's clearly bubbling up and, and coming. It, you know, there's not really been any build up to it.
3: Yeah, uh, I, I fully agree. Um, it, it has sort of come out of nowhere. Max has been phenomenal all year and it's is, is been a real class act at times as well. So, I, I don't understand it fully. Um, there's there's rumours circulating that it could be going back to the Monaco Grand Prix where where press span and uh, stopped uh, or prevented Max from, from going faster in, in Q3. Uh, there's rumours circulating that perhaps that was done on purpose, but I, I can't really say that. I, I don't know if that's 100 percent true or not. Um, but yeah, it's it's perhaps not one of Max's best moments uh, in what has been a, a you know a flawless season for him.
0: Surely. I was going to say, surely you could say that's kind of been a bit picky, though. I mean, I, I get it. You're clearly the number one driver. You're clearly, uh, For me, at the moment, Max Verstappen's the best driver on, on a Formula One grid this season, and he's proven that time and time again. So he's got a lot of support from Perez, and I think that now the championship's won, if he's got the opportunity to maybe give Perez, albeit two points, those extra points to maybe solidify second place and finish the season with a Red Bull 1-2, then, then I don't understand why he wouldn't go ahead and give it. Because now, it puts... Yeah, like you said, Skin, it puts uh, Verstappen in a poor light heading into the, the off-season preparation for next season. But also now, it gives Perez that sort of fire that he needs to maybe do the exact same back. I mean, would you say that Verstappen wouldn't be in as strong of a position to win the championship this year had he not got such support from Perez? Or do you think that maybe last year it would have been a different story and Verstappen wouldn't have got to the final race of the season still in contention for the championship if it wasn't for the support that he's had from Perez?
2: He might still have got to the final race, but I think the the more accurate question is would he have won that race? Again, we know all about the safety car and all that kind of stuff like that, but, you know, that incident took away the spotlight from the performance that Perez put in, which was holding Hamilton up and allowing Max to, you know, close the gap, which was then aided by the safety car and everything that happened. Yeah, it's, it's tough. Does that now lead to more incidents? What happens on Sunday in Abu Dhabi? is, Is there something there that again, Max has insisted he's going to do everything he can. So time will tell on that. But Perez was quoted in the heat of the moment as saying that he's shown who he really is. Is there going to be a backlash from this? Is there going to be a bit of a, a gap between them and a bit of breakup in that communication and, and team spirit that they've had? They've been again, they've been absolutely phenomenal this season. And it's a shame that something like this is coming right at the end and completely take the shine off of what they've achieved over this, this full season. But we can only sit and wait and see what happens next now.
0: Josh, you see you you, of course, watch this on a more than regular basis, not just for the races and the qualifying, but but nearly every programme that's shown on Sky Sports F1, I'm pretty sure you've got somewhere on your recording planner. Is there any build-up that may have given an intention or an idea to, to people that this was eventually going to happen? We've seen in previous years drivers maybe have a similar sort of of reaction to them sort of instructions being given. You remember Mark Webber's infamous, uh, not bad for a number two driver, when, of course, he, he finished first in a race ahead of Sebastian Vettel, who was known to Red Bull as... The, the number one driver in their team at the time. Do you think maybe this is something that has been building for a while? Has there been any um, hints given throughout the season that maybe this is going to happen? I know Skin said that it, he th- felt that this has just been completely out of the blue and probably the, the, one of the uh, the less ideal times for it to happen.
3: Well, I'm just trying to think, Adam, that, that there's not really been a, a lot to suggest there's been any rift between the, the two of them. Uh, this is the first time, really, that uh, it sort of bubbled over a little bit and uh, a lot, and uh, and caused quite a commotion. Perez said in his post-race interviews, "It shows what kind of person Max is, and that was that, that was really strong of him to say that your own teammate, uh, uh, and to cause such a a divide in the team. Of course, they'll they'll sort it out. They'll have they'll have the de- debriefs." uh today and they'll they'll come up with the line for the media on thursday but when when they get back on on the racetrack uh will that issue have been resolved will will the feelings still be um uh, quite harsh between each other um so that's what you've got to look out for this next race and into next season but um i can't apart from the the incident in, in monaco which cost max the the uh uh, pole and eventually the the win. I can't really think of many times or any other times this season where they've they've really uh, had a disagreement. Um, I don't know if uh, uh, Ben can remember anything else, but I I, I can't recall anything else. They really can't,
2: which is which is why it's, there's no real context to go off. You know, Adam Mew at the start of this segment spoke about Hamilton and Rosberg like that bubbled up. back in the 90s back in the 80s these big rivalries that you remember there were incidents there was tension there was something building to that big moment that is now sort of known as the iconic piece or the final piece or something that we watched in highlights There's, there's nothing to this so is it an issue with max to perez is it an issue with max to the team is it an issue with max to something outside of Red Bull? we really don't know because again he refused to answer the questions the, the press presented to him, or or he could have said to you know the fans he he would decline that opportunity to do so. So like I said, there's no context, there's no real nothing to go off of other than just what is in front of you, and it's he hasn't repaid the massive favors that Perez has gone along the way when it doesn't impact him whatsoever because he's already won the championship. So for me, there's no reason whatsoever where he couldn't have slowed down and let Perez overtake him to make sure that he stayed ahead of Lecaire and second place going to Abu Dhabi this Sunday. But level on points, you know, it's not something that's now, he can't beat him or anything like that. Level on points, Max has said he's going to do what he can to get him where he needs to be. We, we just have to wait and see if that pays off come Sunday.
0: Do you think Max's response of is going to do what he can to let him get, to help him get to where he needs to be? Do you think that's his reaction to the debrief because he seemed pretty intent on making sure that he was regarded highly as the number one driver at Red Bull. He wasn't even willing to let um, Perez jump into sixth place. It's not like it was an extra podium or, or top step on the podium. It was literally to sixth place that was the difference and he made it clear there that he, he he will not be doing that. So something's got to have changed between the time that race has finished and the debrief. Whether it was a heat of the moment comment or not, I'm not quite sure, but surely something's been said in the debrief that's le- then led to this situation where he's said I'll do what I can to help him. If this scenario repeats itself next weekend and all Perez needs to do is is pass Verstappen to to have enough points, I know him and Leclerc are level at the moment, but maybe to to get ahead of Verstappen so Verstappen could hold Leclerc up if that was the situation. Do you think that Max would be very much happy to, to do so or do you think it would be a, a similar sort of situation? Because he said he won't do it, then he's come out in the press after the debrief and said that he'll do what he can. Do you think that that's not just just trying to fob the media off perhaps
2: only time can tell but the timing of this is interesting because this hasn't happened halfway through the season where Max is chasing a championship and whether you might not agree with it you can understand it we're now going into the last race of the season where the focus the spotlight the media attention is going to be on not Perez versus Leclerc as it should be but Perez versus Max and should a situation come up like that that you just mentioned there Adam if it goes how you would expect it to go. The issue is now, we're off the back of Mercedes getting a 1-2 this weekend for the first time this season. George getting his first win. bit of momentum, bit of confidence. It's something that we talk about all the time in the other sports that we discuss that can be a big thing. If they get another positive result on Sunday, and then if there is something, it doesn't have to be major, it doesn't have to be something that costs Perez second place, but if there's something that the media or teams can then take into the off season mercedes get close that gap in terms of confidence and momentum that's going to be big going into next season because mercedes are going to have their backup a little bit a bit of fire they're going to be excited and ready for a new season coming off of a good end to this season there's going to be that tension in the cap camp which quite easily could be sorted in the off season but there's no reason why it should have got to that point in the first place which could then make it even harder to make better during that time so it's going to be very interesting not just the impact for this season because grand scheme of things there really isn't any it's about what impact it could have going into next season for me that's which, which is the bigger piece
0: You're absolutely right and Josh as a Mercedes fan uh, as far as I'm aware correct me if I'm wrong Next season, we've already got the confirmation that Russell and Hamilton will race for Mercedes, Sainz and Leclerc will race for Ferrari, Verstappen and Perez will race for Red Bull. That's not going to change. All those three teams have confirmed their drivers for next season. So surely as a Mercedes fan and maybe some of Ferrari fans as well could be rubbing their hands at this thinking, there's turmoil in Red Bull, this ain't going to work for them. This is our chance to push on because Ferrari are looking to reacclaim themselves at the top of, of the sport. They, they've done it for many, many years. They've been really the only consistent to... To be there or thereabouts for the entire time they've been within formula one mercedes have got a point to prove they've obviously won it consistently for seven or eight years and then out of nowhere red bull have taken the ball by its horns pardon the pun to to keep on pushing forward now mercedes have, have got that one too like skin said they've got that confidence ferrari know that they're good enough to be there or thereabouts by the end of the season maybe this turmoil in red bull surely as a mercedes fan now you've got to be sat there thinking it was only a matter of time or it's finally happening. This is our chance heading into next season. There's a lot of work that Red Bull have got to do off the track now just to repair that relationship between Verstappen and Perez because neither of them have sat back and just let this be a case of, oh, it's one of them things. He didn't have the chance. He had the chance. He, he kind of, uh, as some people may say, stabbed Perez in the back there. Didn't, didn't do his part as a teammate. Now Perez is going to have his back up about it and maybe push on to try and uh, not return the favour for for Verstappen next season. As a Mercedes fan, you've got to be liking that.
3: Yeah, there's so many stories going into into next season. And it is is exciting. You you know, last year we had Mercedes against Red Bull. It was ferocious. And this year, in the early part of the season, you had uh, Ferrari challenging Red Bull. What if next year we can have all three challenging each other on a regular basis throughout the 20 or 23 races, however long it is? Uh, that would be absolutely fantastic to watch. And um, in terms of uh, Sergio and Max, um, you know, this last race in Abu Dhabi uh, is a real opportunity to draw a line under that and get the focus back on how brilliant this season has been for them. So I I, I guess that's what the debrief will will have been about, you know, highlighting the success of this season and drawing a line under, under last week. In terms of Mercedes... As we said, it's a, it's a turning point for them. Um, Lewis will be wanting to win races again. I'm sure George will be uh, buzzing with confidence after getting his maiden wins. So, you know, you've got two drivers there who are really fired up and, and ready to go for, for a, a title challenge. In terms of Ferrari, um, they had a fantastic start and obviously a fantastic car as well. Uh, The drivers, obviously, were top class and uh, they've been let down, in my opinion, uh, by poor strategy and uh, just really bad mistakes throughout throughout the season. Um, And the Ferrari really need to iron those out if they are going to maintain a season-long challenge uh, to the Red Bull and possibly, probably, Mercedes as well next season.
0: Absolutely. I'm just going to ask one last or two last questions to the both of you. All I'm expecting is just one quick answer as we are short on time. Um, next season, who's going to win the World Championship? Driver first, skin? Uh, Max.
3: Josh? Um, I'm going to be boring and say Max as well. Uh, uh, and Red Bull for the Constructors again. However, I think it will be much more exciting uh, between the three teams this this uh, for 2023 and
0: uh, Skin you've not given me a uh, construct so we'll come to you for that now
2: uh, I will go Red Bull to what about yourself someone looking outside in being a McLaren fan what are you going to go for as your early prediction for next year
0: uh, Lando Norris and McLaren there we go I think they're wild cards within themselves aren't they ball predictions if you will no I, I want to see Charles-, Charles do it I want to see Leclerc and I want to see Ferrari out so I'm going to go with uh, Leclerc and a Ferrari uh, double there um, just to be different but also I've said throughout the season if Max doesn't win it I want the clerk to do it, so uh, I'm going to Whoa. back in for next season. Uh, Josh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we look forward to seeing your reports when they start from next season um, on loadedsport.co.uk. So thank you very much for joining us um, to go through what has been a very entertaining penultimate race to the season. Despite the championship being over, there's always talking points going on in Formula One. So Josh, thank you very much.
3: Pleasure, Adam. Thank you for having me on.
0: Not a problem. We'll be back joined with Kemp in just a few moments time as he reviews UFC 281 here on Loaded Sport, the third episode with myself, Skin and Kemp. Welcome back to the third episode of Loaded Sport, where we're now going to talk about UFC 281 at Madison Square Garden, where we crowned a new middleweight champion of the world. To Take us through this. We'll cross over to you now, Kemp. We did. Thanks, Adam. MSG, the Mecca, the fight capital of the world in
1: some people's eyes. This weekend did not disappoint. You know, it's tough being a European fan of, of the UFC, and you know, in some some cases, boxing when there's a decent fight on in Vegas, you know, not starting till five in the morning, it's a pretty thankless task. But you know, this weekend uh, it really was worth it. Shout out to Benji and uh, and Klein who came round at the weekend. Um, Papa John's? No, actually. No. 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 I had. I just had some chicken from Domino's. Isn't really fancy pizza. This, huh? this weekend, didn't really fancy it. So, yeah, it, it was an unbelievable card. Um, top to bottom, it was it was pretty stacked. Uh, you got, you know, Meatball Molly McCann fighting on the prelims. You know, the second fight on the prelims is one of the, you know, one of the hottest rising European stars in MMA. And it was um, it was a fantastic fight card from start to finish. I'll, I'll sort of start with those preliminary cards. Uh, we had uh, Andre Petroski against Wellington Turman. A decision, a unanimous decision, win for for Petrosky and and looked pretty dominant in doing so. Erin Blanchfield against Molly McCann. Now, anybody who follows UFC or MMA or, or doesn't even follow it will know that there's been a real surge in the past, you know, few months of the introduction of Paddy the Baddie Pimblet and and Molly the Meatball McCann, both from Liverpool ones and Everton fan ones, a Liverpool fan and. They are really great personalities to have within the sport and to represent British MMA. I did predict before the fights that Blanchfield would probably just have too much for McCann. Um, I believe she's a world jiu-jitsu champion. You know, she's only 23 years of age, years of age Erin in Blanchfield, but you know, her nickname is Cold Blooded, and she really was that on on Saturday night, um, really dominating McCann pretty much straight away. She uh, got her mounted in a crucifix and, and was pretty much smashing her up for the entire round um, and submitted her with a with a really nasty-looking kimura. Um, and I think the problem with MMA fighters these days is, you know, they'll say something on social media or on a podcast, for example, Molly McCann saying she'd never tap and then unfortunately tap into a kimura, which she absolutely should have done because, you know, the pain must be absolutely excruciating and the last thing you want as a professional fighter is a broken arm. We then went to Ryan Spam versus Dominic Reyes. It was a catch weight of 206.6 uh, pounds, so pretty much a light heavyweight division. And Dominic Reyes getting knocked out once again. It's his fourth defeat in a row after being um, beaten by John Jones in a, in a razor-close decision a few years ago. And it's it's very, very difficult, it seems, to sort of get over that, get over the hump of having such a close fight against one of the greatest fighters of all time. You know, since then, like I say, Dominic Reyes has, has lost in pretty you know, pretty, pretty convincing fashion since then. Um, we then had the prelim main event, which was Hanato Moikano against Brad Riddle. Um, a really, really nasty looking submission, a rear naked choke, finished it off in the first round. You know, there were there were many, many finishes on the card in the prelims and on the main card. I'm just about to cross to the main card now. And every single fight on the main card ended in a finish. You know, the, the, the judges were very, very quiet during the main card, which is always like what we like to see. Uh, Dan Hooker started us off. He's had a really, really rough run the the past few months and years. You know, he he got beat by Poirier and then he got beat by Chandler, um, who, who, are both fighting in in the, in the on the card as well. And he's had a few more defeats as well. I think one against Islam Akhachev as well which is obviously, it's, it's no shame in that. But he got a great win uh, against Claudio Puelles, who literally sat on his back and, uh, well, laid on his back and wanted to pull guard all, all night which was interesting. Um, Dan Hooker didn't let him do it and 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 finished it with a a pretty nasty looking body kick. And uh, those stacked up pretty well. We also saw the, the finish, the end of a illustrious career, a hometown hero, Frankie, the answer Edgar, a legend of the sport, and will absolutely go into the UFC Hall of Fame was knocked out by a vicious knee from Chris Gutierrez. And you really could feel for Frankie Edgar after that fight. He looked devastated, but, you know, I mean, the, the fight only lasted two minutes, I think it was. And and you saw that that Frankie had not got it anymore. You know, Frankie was one of the greats of the lightweight division. Obviously, this is a bantamweight, but Frankie's been a legend of the sport. And, you know, his movement didn't really seem there. He seemed a little bit off. You know, he didn't seem his old self. Um and, and unfortunately, he paid the price for it. It's not an old man's game, unfortunately. We then went to the fight of the night, which was just ridiculous. And we all knew it was going to be ridiculous. It was one of those fights that, you know, you, you look at it and think there is no way that this can be a bad fight. And it isn't. Uh, Chandler um, hurt Poirier at the start of the fight. Poirier was really pouring it on at the end of the first round. Um, the second round, Chandler was all over Poirier. You know, he took his back. I think he actually fish-hooked him at one point, which is illegal, and tried to get a rear-naked choke. And then in the third round, I think Michael Chandler just gassed himself out a little bit and Dustin Poirier finished with a rear-naked choke. But honestly, what a fight. Two warriors and and a really, really good example as to why the lightweight division very often is the most exciting division in the UFC. Um We then went to probably the most unsurprising result of the evening for me. We've got a new women's strawweight champion of the world, uh, two-time women's strawweight champion of the world. Zhang Weili defeated Carla Esparza uh, via rear naked choke. And, you know, me and the lads agreed. It was so obvious to us that that was going to happen. There there wasn't really anything that Carla Esparza could have done to defend her title. Um, Zhang Weili's a better athlete. She's younger, I believe. She's got better striking, better grappling, better wrestling. Uh, and it was just a matter of time, in my opinion, uh, before the belt changed hands on that night. We then came to the main event, Adam, you mentioned there. We've got new middleweight champion of the world, Alex Pereira, beat Israel Adesanya, uh, who was undefeated at middleweight up to this point, um, who interestingly enough has actually lost to Pereira twice before. This was the third fight, the first fight they had in MMA, um, and, and it was an unbelievable fight, but it, it pretty much went the way I thought it was was gonna go. I, I didn't think Izzy would be able to avoid Alex for for the full five rounds, and but bless him, he only had three minutes left in the fight, and and he got caught. You know, um, Pereira was backing him up against the cage. Izzy did really well all night to sort of get out of those positions and avoid it. Um, but but Pereira is a world class striker. They both are former kickboxing world champions. But, you know, is Izzy just couldn't get away from the power. And I think it's such a bad matchup for Izzy in terms of his psychological state. You know, he's lost against Pereira three times now. Does he believe that he could win? Um I don't know. And and again, you know, Adesanya um really, really struggled with, with Pereira's pressure and I think he thought he was gonna get tired towards the end of the fight, but you know, no bueno. So, it was an unbelievable night of fights. I think Pereira on the back of it is probably one of the most beatable champions in the UFC. You know, he's an unbelievable striker, world champion, world-class kickboxer. Um, but he's can I wrestling... just quickly
2: jump in with a question there? Of course you can, yeah, yeah, of course. Who would you say is a better striker at this moment in time than him or Erling
1: Haaland? Right now? Yeah. Alex Pereira. Interesting. Yeah, Alex Pereira. He is the the middleweight champion of the world after all. He is, he is. And Haaland's had a couple of games where he's not looked... You know, he's not looked like he's going to score five goals, which is not like him. So, yeah, uh, Pereira uh, is, is very beatable, in my opinion. He's, he's like I say, a world-class kickboxer and a, and a world-class striker. But anybody that, that knows the ground game of a Vittori or a Robert Whitaker or anybody of that ilk, I think, to be honest, I think he loses the title. So it freshes things up at middleweight. It was an unbelievable card. Um, and I believe it was the second to last numbered card of the year. Um, the, the 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 next, the, the final numbered card of the year is Yuri Prohaska against Glover Teixeira for the light heavyweight title on December the 10th. So, Loaded Sport will probably come back to you then, Adam.
0: Yes, thank you very much. I tried to keep uh, my input there for you, very minimum. But excellent, excellent review um, of what sounded like a fantastic show. That is all we've got time for today we will be back on Thursday with a preview of the weekend's action and make sure you keep an eye out on Friday as well as we preview the World Cup and let's be fair we all know it's coming home skin how can people get in touch and find out more about the shows that we are providing
2: yeah, just search Loaded Sport on YouTube and Spotify, Facebook as well if you want to give the page a like and keep on track of updates or keep on top of updates, should I say, at Loaded Sport on Twitter and also at Loaded underscore Sport on Instagram as well. We'll have plenty of clips, plenty of trailers, plenty of updates coming your way. And yeah, this is a big week. There's three episodes to be dropped this week, including the big World Cup preview, which I'm really excited to get stuck into and record because it is a big shame that The World Cup at the time of recording is now six days away and there is next to no hype around it, but I'm sure we'll get into all the political reasons as to why that is when we uh, get sat down and have a good chat about it later in the week.
0: Absolutely. Skin, Kemp, thank you very much for joining me to uh, review all the weekend's action. A lot to hopefully look forward to this time next week when we review week 11 of the NFL and the first game of the World Cup.